Amen. Good morning, Calvary. I would love for us to kind of imagine today with me, one of the first sermons I remembered was delivered by a man by the name of Louis Giglio, who at the time was very young because I was young. And so he described, I remember this being at middle school camp, and he described the moment, the realization that Christ could return at any moment. So when you look at Thessalonians, which is originally what we were going to talk about today, the idea is no person knows when Christ can return. No one knows the season or the time. So we, we automatically assume Christ won't return today, right? Because if, if he returned today, we would, we would live life differently. If you knew this was your last day on earth, you would live life differently. So as we are chasing after what it means to live for him in eternity, we need to understand that time is coming when the trumpet will sound and Christ will return. You and I will not be on this earth forever. So what are we living for? I was originally going to um, talk about Thessalonians today, but the scripture kept coming to my mind and my heart through various different uh, avenues. And so I just want to spend today in Isaiah chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Isaiah chapter 6, because it describes the way that we will react when we encounter the presence of God. What will, how will we react when we encounter the presence of God? Of God. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. The seraphim were standing above him. Another message for another time, but so you know, seraphim are angelic like creatures that attend to God in heaven. Fair enough, okay? That's all I'm going to cover about that today. The seraphim were standing above him, and they each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. And the foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices. And the temple was filled with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me for... I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. And in his hands was a a glowing coal. Think of that like a baking coal. That he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking Who will I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. This is a very, very, very famous passage. It is like Seminary 101. This is the passage they talk to and share at pastors' orientations, ordinations, and missionaries' orientations and ordinations. And and so this is the idea of being called and being sent. Good news, this isn't reserved just for pastors and missionaries because I believe if you are followers of Jesus, followers share what they know. You and I are missionaries because we share what we know and we are called to go. So I'm asking us today, are we willing to go? Are we willing to say, here am I, send me. 
Now, the reason that this is impactful to us is because when you understand the context of what is going on here, this is not always easy, but Isaiah comes to the place where he's like, I'm so excited about what God is doing. I can't contain it. I'm so excited about what God is doing. I've encountered his presence. It is transforming me and changing me from within, and therefore, I must go and tell. How's it, how are you doing? Did you, did you live that impact this last week? If not, why not? Well, maybe there's some parallels going on in Isaiah chapter 6 that we can unfold in our own life. In Isaiah chapter 6, it, it starts, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, you may not know much about King Uzziah, but King Uzziah was mostly a good king in the lineage of Israel history, which was quite remarkable to say because most of Israel kings weren't good at all. Most kings aren't actually that good in history. We understand that, right? But in the year that King Uzziah died, he had been on the throne for a very, very long time. And this was when Israel, or the Old Testament church, was flourishing. They had expanded their borders. Prosperity was abounded. They had, they had learned to do some water irrigation type things so clean water meant healthier living, right? Their riches, their abundance was going. And as everything was going smooth, the people were like, God is awesome. But while saying God is awesome, they were simultaneously giving God less attention and less adoration. This is mirrored in the way that King Uzziah lived. King Uzziah was a righteous king until he wasn't. And in 2 Chronicles verse chapter 26, we find that Uzziah walked into the temple and he was impatient and did a deed which at first glance doesn't seem that bad. He walked into the temple and lit incense, which was a roll reserved for the priests. And King Uzziah thought to himself, I can do anything I want. I'm the king. Or, wait for it, I am God's beloved. And God said, you are beloved. But you shouldn't have done that. And immediately, King Uzziah contracts leprosy and eventually dies. Coinciding with King Uzziah's death, They've gone from a season of harvest, if you can remember back to a couple weeks ago, and they're now about to enter a season of winter as a nation. And Isaiah is speaking to the people, and Isaiah is addressing this, and he's wondering, God, how are you going to move with us? And in this moment, he encounters this vision where God is on his throne. The seraphim are declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah is saying, here am I, send me. God's people thought they were holier than they were. And Isaiah needs to tell them that. What a fun task. Hey, you aren't as holy as you thought you were. <laughs> Sign me up for that job, right? Didn't that sound like fun? That's like, uh, never mind. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be a little vulnerable. This morning, I went to the gas station, which I always do at 6 o'clock in the morning, on Sunday morning, to get my, my soda, which wakes me up. And as I was checking out, the guy at the counter said, by the way, you do know you have a dryer cloth hanging out of your shirt, right? <laughs> no, I didn't. Thanks for letting me know. That's the kind of the same message here, right? 
It was really early. My wife was still asleep, people, okay? So in the year that King Uzziah dies, he goes and he says these things. And so it's this idea of, are we holier than we think we are? You see, when Isaiah encountered the, the seraphim, he, he suddenly realized, oh, this is a wonderful place to be. So let's look at what he encountered. In Isaiah 6.3, he says, And one called to another, the seraphim, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. Holy, holy, holy is the, the Lord of armies is a phrase that may not mean much to you, but would have meant a lot to the people hearing this. We, we have songs, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of God Almighty, you know, the Lord of armies. But this is a phrase that the priest would have preached when he went into the holy of holies. Let me make sure you understand. In the Old Testament, when they were looking for the glory of God, the glory of God, by the way, is the manifestation of God's presence on earth. The glory of God is the realization that God is on the earth. He is on the planet. He is around us, okay? So as we're looking for the glory of God, it's how God is revealing himself, working and acting and present with us. That is what we mean by when we describe the glory of God. But in the Old Testament, there was this ark, the ark of the covenant. And as they placed this in the temple the presence of God dwelled there. Now, we have the temple with us because when Jesus died for us, we now have access to the Holy Spirit, and so the Spirit of God is within us. So if anyone has ever said to you, your body is a temple, what they're actually referring to is the fact that God can dwell within you. It's not about just how well you work out, okay? The presence of God can dwell with you, but in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, the presence of God, the glory of God was found in the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the temple where a priest would go once a year to make a sacrifice and the atonement of the sins. Now, when they did that, when they walked in, they would say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, is the Lord of armies. It was a, a, a graceful way to say, God, I recognize that you are above me. God, I'm not perfect. God, I'm not worthy. And as the priest would walk in, that is one of the phrases he would say, holy, holy, holy. Is the, in other words, God, don't strike me dead. Because when the priest walked in, they had a rope around his ankle in case he fell over. Y'all, this was taking God seriously, okay? But here's what's interesting. When Isaiah relays this story, he doesn't stop, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of armies. It goes on to say, the seraphim are saying, his glory fills the whole earth. In other words, God is just not in a box. And the idea here was, I think Israel was like, okay, God, you're good. You're contained in your little box. And, and once a year, we're going to go and make a sacrifice. But the rest of the year, we're not going to really think about you much, right? Has anybody ever done that? I'm wondering today if we understood what it looked like to walk and to dwell in the presence of God. If we were to bust open the box and to say, God, where do you want your glory to shine all around me? God, here am I, send me, was Isaiah's cry. God, I, I realize that you can no longer be contained. And so sometimes I think we say we want the glory of God, but we want the glory of God on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock or 1041. God, your glory can shine 
all you want till 1120 and you better not go long. God, I want to see you move on Sunday mornings, but does God's glory permeate every part of your life to where when people look at you, they see a reflection of the glory of God? Because you are so enamored. As Moses went up on the mountain, he came down on the mountain, and people were like, your face is like glowing, because he'd been in the presence of God, that kind of reality, to where your workers Co-workers go, what's going on? How are you able to handle these layoffs so well? When the, when the cancer issue strikes, how are you able to, to handle and navigate that well? When life doesn't always go as well as you want, you're able to still show the glory of God. Also, in the celebrations, it's not about you. It's showing the glory of God. How do we get there? How do we live in such a way that we are enamored with what God wants to do in and through us? Well, it comes down to the realization that God does not need to be confined. So I'm asking us today, are we really willing to say, God, show us your glory? God, I want to be changed by the power of what, or do we want to keep him in a box? See, if you want to keep him in a box, you wouldn't be alone. In fact, when Jesus came, Emmanuel, God was with us in the form of Jesus. There's these religious people who thought they were holier than they were. Right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, a punching bag, but we don't want to realize sometimes we're Pharisaical. And Sadduceical? Anyways. As we unfold that, what we, what we realize is the Pharisees and Sadducees were like, you know what, Jesus, you do your thing, just stay quiet. And when the glory of God started to shine through them, they were like, this isn't going to work. So you need to stop healing people and stop doing your God stuff because it's shaking with what we want to believe about religion. And when that continued to move forward and, and God continued to show up, they were like, whoa, 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 we're, we're, we're now being challenged. We don't really want to be challenged to give. We don't really want to be challenged to sacrifice. We don't really want to be challenged to change. We want to keep God in our little box. And so, whoa, what are we going to do? I got an idea. Let's try to kill him. And so they, they tricked the people. And once you start going down that path of keeping God in a box, it's going to make you sin. And as they kept going, they kept getting worse and worse. And so they got someone to betray Jesus, right? Then they had to say, okay, let's set the murderer free so that we can crucify Jesus. Give us Barabbas. And as they put him on the cross, they literally drove nails into his hand, trying to keep God in his box, trying to contain the glory of God from shining. And then they put his body in a tomb and a huge old boulder in front of it. But you know what you find? You can't contain the glory of our God. That tomb, come Sunday morning, was empty. The stone had been rolled away and God's glory was all around. 
And God's glory as a result of what Jesus did is available for you and for me. And when we encounter it and we see it reaches to the ends of the earth, and when we encounter it and realize that God's presence is with us at work, at the third shift at Subaru, he's with us on the shift as a police officer, he's with us on the tractor as a farmer, he's with us as a stay-home mom, he's with us as a doctor or a nurse, he's with us as a first grader at school or the kindergarten teachers. I love me some kindergarten teachers. Let's all give them a round of applause. As we understand what that all looks like, I love how y'all just did that. As we understand what that all looks like, the reality is if we seek the glory of God, his glory will show up, but his glory does not result in our glory. And that's where we get off. And so here's the question for us as we're doing this. Do we seek to encounter his presence? Or are we just seeking spiritual presence? He is the object of our worship. And worship is not a means to any other gift. The gift is God himself. You see, we want God when the bad things happen. God show up. And we're like, okay, that's good. Now go back to your box. That's not the way God works. We want God when our marriage is on the rocks. God, show up, intervene in my marriage. Oh, good, our marriage is good. Thank you, God, now stay over there. That's not how God works. God's glory will change every part of you. Why don't we encounter it? Because God's holiness is overwhelming to all who encounter it. You see, one day when you're in the actual physical presence of God, although we're in the spiritual and literal presence of God here, right? You will bend your knee and bow. You will realize you are undone. Isaiah 6.4 describes it like this. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Y'all ever been to Mackey Arena in the middle of a really good game? And like, it's like, you know, tied, and all of a sudden, we put in a three with .01 seconds left, which how you have .01, I don't understand, but we continually do, and we win the game, and no one has to sit there and go, everybody cheer, right? Because every single person's on their feet screaming, and have you ever felt the ground shake? That doesn't hold a candle to what's happening in heaven. And I'm wondering if we understood what it looked like to live to the nth degree, to exponentially ramp up the idea of living our lives for the glory of God, how it would change us. Well, one way it would change us is at first it's going to break us. You see, when encountered, the holiness of God will shake the foundations of who we are and in turn, the way we live. Isaiah witnessed the, the foundation shaking, right? He's sitting going, this is awesome. He's witnessing seraphim rejoicing. That would be amazing. And his first reaction wasn't, that was amazing. Here's his first reaction, Isaiah 6, 5. Then I said, woe is me. I'm ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies, he recognized I'm not the man I need to be. And maybe that's what's keeping you, the realization that you know you're not that good. You're not, you're like, Daniel, that's all great, but you're a pastor. Oh, my life is just as messy as yours. I just choose to get up and try to shake it off and seek the glory of God. 
Every family in here put the fun in dysfunction. The pictures on our wall are not actually representative of the way most of us actually live. They are snapshots of the good moments. But the reality is God is in those good moments just as much as he was with you this morning when you were yelling at your kids because you were running late to church. He's just as good when you walk out of here and your husband says something snappy and you may, let's just leave it like that. He's just as good in the great times and in the horrible times because he is holy all the time. And as we seek his holiness, what we'll do is it will purge us of the things that draw us away from his presence. So the seraphim put a coal on the prophet's lips. Y'all do realize he's a, a preacher. Let's put a burning coal on the preacher's lips. Some of you might want to try that sometime. It didn't burn him, but it, I mean that, that would be pretty scary to me, right? A purification and a representation. The, the coals were taken from the embers of the altar where the sacrifice was made. Do you, do you see the parallel? The sacrifice has been made, so this is now purifying you. It's, it's going to burn away all of the imperfections, burn away all the greed, burn away all the addictions, burn away all the self-reliance, burn away all the control, burn away all the worry, burn away all the anxiety. It's going to bring you into the holiness, into the presence, into the right relationship with God, which you and I were made to be in since the beginning of time. And in that moment, in, the, in that burning away, Isaiah suddenly goes, I'm clean. And he's so enamored with it. He sits there and goes, I got to let others know. Here am I. Send me. But church, in order to get there, we first have to realize how unclean we really are. The greatest lie that we can face, not the greatest lie, that's hyperbole, a huge lie that we can face as the Church of America, is to feel like we've arrived. So the old quote says, are churches really seeking the presence of God, or are we just a bunch of saints gathering together who share the same sins, condemning all those who don't share the same sins? Do we want to be challenged, or when we challenge, do we just bounce to the next church? Do we want to, to be uh, drawn into the presence of God? Do we want our small groups to call us out because we aren't talking nice about our spouses? Do we want someone to say, you know what, we're not going to be a house of gossip? Do we want to live our life in such a way, not only on Sunday mornings, but it affects the way that we live on Tuesday, that it affects the way we live on Thursday? Do we want to really encounter the presence of God to give us the peace the, the patience, the kindness, the, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Do we want to live in such a way or do we want to stay in control of our lives? You see, Israel at this time, God describes them in Isaiah chapters 1 through 5 as that of a three-year-old toddler going, I want what I want, mommy. And we're like, too soon. And God is saying, it's time to grow up. You need to continually learn. You need to be drawn into my presence and realize the moment you think you've arrived is the surest sign you haven't as God reveals himself to us. Here's where this gets confusing. 
two weeks ago, I felt like the Spirit really moved in this service. We had about a dozen people come forward and pray and had a great time talking with some of those. And that was an impactful service to me. And you know what? I immediately felt afterwards, how can we manufacture that again? Did you hear that? And the reality is we can't. We can get the lights just right. We can, we, we can get the, the music to not have any problems. We can make sure the batteries aren't going to run out and test every sound equipment. We can pick the song selection of your dreams. I can preach on your favorite passage and you can still miss the presence of God. We can, we can walk through the motions and act like this is about God showing up for us, but really, we are here for the glory of God, and when we live for the glory of God, we get what we need. You get that, right? You get what you need when you learn to die to self. Say, God, may your will be done. So Isaiah gets it. And he's like, here am I, Lord Send me. Despite the fact that God's holiness will reveal our frailty, he realized that he was good, that God was good. And he said, God, here am I. Send me. I want to reveal your holiness. And I want to help others see the power of God. And I want to seek your presence, which will lead to purification. And I want to come to the place where I proclaim your good words. God, here am I. Send me. And God says, great. By the way, Isaiah chapter 7 verses to Isaiah chapter 7 through 38 are all of Israel rejecting everything I say. Which breaks the pastor's heart. And what I realize is I can do everything I can possibly do, but I can't manufacture an environment to make you understand the importance of seeking the glory of God. But what I can do is exactly what I'm offering you to do today. I can seek his glory. And no, you may not be able to make the elected officials seek his glory. You may not make all the teachers respond like you want them to or the, whatever social issue is going on in the back of your mind or whatever church down the road is annoying you or the neighbor whose chickens are roostering and you're like, how can chickens rooster? I don't know, I'm a city boy. And the idea of all of this, you can sit here and be constantly annoyed with things that are going on all around you or you can live for the glory of God. God can do more with one or two living for the glory of his renown than he can a church full of people faking it. So let me ask you this. Where's your hope? Is it in your retirement account? Have you seen the stock market? God is still good. Is it in your health? That may end tomorrow. Is it in all the fun and free times? Is it in the glory of the snapshots that we want to remember? Take a picture and remember. And hear me, do that. Go out and, and have a, uh, your kids on all the sports teams. Take the pictures of that. Have the memories, but don't make that your God. 
Go out and, and have the banquet and, and celebrate your anniversary. That is a wonderful gift. Take a vacation and, and give God the glory, but don't make that the idol. The idol, only thing that we are called to worship is God Himself. Everything else will be gone. Everything else will, will disappear. But God will still be on His throne. So here's the challenge. Do you live with that in mind? How do we do that? We focus on eternity now. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52 says, Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. We don't know when Christ is going to return, so our daily training simply is to live in the tension of his return. Because as Louis Giglio described in that message, a message I've never forgotten, it would just take a trumpet sound, and I'm not going to weird you out and have you one of those pastors who has a trumpet behind the stage, right? So if you hear a trumpet, you're in trouble, okay? But in a moment, he will return. And yeah, the math says it may not be in our lifetime. So what? We will all eventually die. We will all stand before our God and give an account. But for just a moment, as we're living our life, let's imagine that he could return. That at any second that trumpet could sound. What would it look like? I like to imagine the trumpet sounds and immediately the roof is just blown off. <laughs> and we look up and we, we see the seraphim and, and all the hosts of angels singing and declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord and God is descending down to take us home. And in that moment, there's either going to be great angst or great glory. And it's decided now. He will return. Are you ready? Or do you want to stay in control? Are you willing to say, God, whatever, here am I, send me. Shape me, change me, mold me, break me. Take me to where you want me to be so that I might live for you faithfully. Let's not contain God to a box any more than they contain him to a tomb. He is risen. He is risen indeed, not just an Easter phrase. Can we say that together? He is risen. May we live to that. If you need to talk to one of us about how to receive Jesus, we'd love to tell you how he died for you and made a way for you to have a relationship with him. Come talk to one of us right after the service. We'll be up front. Church, live in the tension that he will return. If you want to come pray with us after the service, we'd love to do that too. But let's pray and live for God to show us his glory. God, we thank you for what you're doing here and now. And we ask that you continue to move in our lives. God, show us your presence, your power, your might. God, right here, right now, we pray for marriages to be saved. 
We pray for addictions to dissipate, chains to be broken. We pray for idols to fall, the pursuit of endless dreams that never are enough. And that right here, right now, you show us your presence so we can be broken and you can come back and put us back together as we worship you, for you are the glory. God, bring your refiner's fire. Touch our lips, touch our hearts with how you move in this room and in this place, and so that we might go out in the world and live for you. Here we are, Lord, send us. Make that our cry. God, help us not to just walk through the motions, but live for your glory. So God, show up, move here and now. In your name we pray.